Okay, welcome to another fabulous edition of the Edlow Podcast. This is this month's Just Me Podcast. Um, <coughs> sorry, I keep getting keep getting text messages. My son and I are texting each other. Um, we uh, just texting about. So I uh, this year for Christmas I gave all of my children a special one-on-one trip with me and um you know the like a trip out of town uh piper already got hers we did it early because she wanted to see that band love joy which i've talked about it on another podcast and um that was a lot of fun but now the boys um we are going to be going to philadelphia for wrestlemania and it's wrestlemania 40 and i was just telling um uh austin that i remember being uh i think i was maybe four or five years old and being at um the arco arena watching wrestlemania 2 on a big screen so it's kind of crazy that i'm going to get to take my boys to see um wrestlemania 40 it's just really exciting. So that's good. So uh, very excited about that. Lexi and I will be going to Los Angeles to Disneyland, and she wanted to see someone named Melanie Martinez. So we're going to go see her in concert. Uh, listen to some of her stuff. I am not impressed, but we will see. She ensure, assures me that she is amazing, and, you know, I – can deal so i'm excited about that but today we are going to do some q a i've looked at some of these already and i think there's a lot to cover so why don't we just get right into it all right so um who's your favorite sacramento king right now i like Demonis Sabonis, I think he's the best one. I think he's highly, highly underrated as a center. Um, I'd say, I mean, when you hear the stat that he is only the third center in NBA history behind Jokic and Wilt Chamberlain for having 10 triple doubles in multiple seasons, only the third player to ever do that, I'd say that's pretty impressive. And the fact that he's not in more talks as being one of the best centers in the league um, is pretty surprising. So I really like his game to see a center who can, you know, bang down low and play in the low post, get rebounds, but can also run the offense from the high post as well, as well as he does considering that he's been undersized. I think that's pretty impressive. So I think he's my favorite with a, with a, with Malik Monk being probably a quick, uh, a, Close number two. He just comes with a lot of energy. Very exciting. Um, so, yeah, yeah, those are my favorite Kings. Um, and also, I got to say, you know, if we're talking about the Kings, I think a lot of people are getting a little, a little out of sorts very quickly. Like, do we not forget that just two years ago they were like bottom of the barrel in the West? And we get to the playoffs one year, and then we act like these guys are supposed to be like a contender for a, for the championship. Like, was anybody actually expecting that? I mean, if two years ago, I know they've been on a little bit of a slide right now. They're about seventh in the West, but they have the same record that they had last year at this point. Now, I don't like seeing them lose either, and they are definitely a lot more inconsistent right now than they were a year ago. But remember, their big run came after the All-Star break. And, um, you know, they're still, they're still, they're basically the same team. Um, there's just some of the roles aren't quite defined very well. And some of the players have kind of changed it up. I think quite frankly, if they make no changes, I'm not looking at a championship run this year. I'm looking next year and the year after when Keegan Murray develops, you already have a big three right there. I don't think you need to mess this up and trade away some key players just to get somebody now, especially when you have somebody, you know, the people you're looking at like Pascal Siakam who went to the Pacers 
um, or you're looking at somebody who's coming up on a contract. There was, uh, I can't remember which one it was that, that he's coming up this year that they were going to try to pick up. If they're not going to re-sign with you, why are you going to give away the bank just to get somebody and hope that you, you know, do we expect one player is going to make us a contender to win a championship this year? I doubt it. So I think playing the long game is something that's, you know, something that you should be expecting. And I'm still happy with them. I still think that this is a huge improvement to where it's been, and it's just some growing pains, and that's it. Let's see. Um, how do you feel about onesies? Okay. So this is a wrestling uh, a wrestling joke, and I love onesies. I love Trip Rogers. I think he is uh, one of the best in the area. He's a lot of fun to watch, super entertaining. Let's see. Um, will Chucky ever get shoes? The world may never know. That's a good question. Uh, I've never understood um, the wrestling without shoes like Jimmy Snuka. Like, I don't know. Maybe it's just my toes, but I'd be afraid I'd break a toe. So I don't know. We'll have to see about that. Uh, will Chucky ever have his dream match of Slaughterhouse versus BLE, or will it just be a what if? I don't know. Someone needs to book it. I don't book wrestling shows anymore yet stay tuned okay um why does d-torch like my pink gloves so much i i don't know that reference i'm gonna let him handle that one um okay let's see how did you decide on your pro wrestling finisher why'd you choose it and what others did you consider and why didn't you choose one of those you know, it's funny. So right now my, my finisher has been the world's strongest slam, um, always subject to change. I, it, it just kind of fell in my lap for, for, you know, no pun intended, uh, in training, I was training, uh, at Johnny Jeter's and I would always, you know, there was me consistently. There were two guys there, me and, uh, Julio who, uh, uh, we won't talk about who he wrestles as, but anyway, a guy named Julio and a great wrestler, great guy really like him a lot and we'd we'd have matches and and we'd always end up where we would kind of call just a world's strongest slam and that would always be the finisher uh when i when i won or it'd be some variation of it and it's just it's a good finisher it's easy it's easy for guys to get up in it it's easier it's it's a good one for me it looks devastating when i do it because i'm so tall um and uh, I do love Mark Henry as a big man, so it just made a lot of sense. Uh, back in my my days when I was 18, 19 years old, I did a powerbomb. Um, and I love the powerbomb, but the thing is, is there's so – I really – especially now that I'm older, um, you know, not to smarten everybody up, but, you know, kayfabe's dead anyway. Like the, the – uh, I'm really focused more – these days on getting over simply and safely. And so, you know, powerbomb, there's so many components to a powerbomb that could go wrong. You know, I've already seen one guy get knocked loopy by, by someone giving it wrong or, uh, or whatnot that, you know, I'm not going to comment on who did what make it, make it bad, but we, you know, anybody in the wrestling community knows what happens. So, you know, I just, there's too many things. Guy doesn't tuck his chin right. That's a long way to fall. Also, if you get someone who's a little bit heavy or doesn't have a lot of core strength to get up, it could be a problem. So I just figured that the world's strongest slam is something that I can do to pretty much anybody and, and it gets over. So um, I used to do this other thing when I was 18 that was pretty good um, where I would, I would start them into like a reverse DDT, like a scorpion death drop, but then I'd pick them up into a power slam and power slam them. And that was pretty good too. But again, it's just a matter of being able to get anybody in it. And some of these bigger guys, I think it's a little bit harder to do. I might bring that back one day. We'll have to see. But anyhow. All right. Uh, so there's that. Let's see. Um, okay. We're done with those ones. Um, you, let's see. All right, let's start over here. Are you flirtatious? I don't think so. No. Um, 
I'm nice. Um, I try to be nice to everybody, but I wouldn't say I am particularly flirtatious, but I don't know. What do you think? Uh, no, I, I don't think so. Um, who wins the Royal Rumble? Hmm. You know, I, I got to tell you, as far as wrestling goes, I, I'm actually really excited about this. I want to say a couple things about this to the wrestling community. I am really excited for this Royal Rumble. This podcast is going to come out after the Royal Rumble has already ended. So if I make a prediction, uh, we'll see if I'm right. Um, but this is the first time where there's that I can remember where there's legit like six or seven different guys that could win. And like it wouldn't be a particular shock. It would make for a really cool main event. I actually really like that they have two different days now of WrestleMania for so many different reasons. First, WrestleMania before, when it was like six hours long, plus a two-hour, uh, plus a two-hour, what do you call it, a pre-show or whatever, that is a long day for, of wrestling. Like, uh, by the main event, you were ready for it to be over. Having two days that are about three hours long is so much better, and you get two main events, of main event caliber matches. I you know, I took my kids to WrestleMania last year in LA and man, like that was like, it was cool to, you were able to have the WrestleMania moment of Sammy and Kevin Owens going over on the Usos. And then you were able to have the surprise Roman Reigns win and, and not feel like you didn't get the WrestleMania moment. It was pretty cool. And then also having two main event caliber matches like that was just so cool. So I think having Seth Rollins and Roman Reigns at the top, both titles mean something. Both guys have held up for a really long time. You could have a lot of cool different stories uh, that come out of that. So I think that it, this is what I'm going to predict happens. Uh, I think The Rock is going to make a surprise appearance at the Royal Rumble and win it and then challenge Roman Reigns. That's what I think. Um, and... Uh, that's kind of where I think it's going to go. But um, if I was going to choose somebody to win, if I was going to choose somebody to win who's already uh, declared for it, uh, I would say that's not going to be like a surprise entrant. I think, I think only because I think The Rock is going to appear in Wrestle, Wrestle Roman Reigns, I don't think Cody Rhodes wins it. I think CM Punk wins it. So, but we'll see. I don't know. It's it's an exciting one. This is going to be a good one. Okay. Um, I am a single mother who is currently raising a boy who turned 16. He will be dating soon. Any fatherly advice? Yeah. So, I... Uh, no sex below the neck. That's my advice. No, that's not it. Uh, that's, that's kind of a joke. Half joke. No, here, here's the thing. These are the things that I take it for what you will. My son didn't even listen to me, but on some of this stuff, but here are kind of the general things that I have told my son and an occasion, my son's friends, when they were about to get that age and started getting interested in dating and girls and things of that nature. Uh, my, my first thing that I always told them was in my experience, I would recommend that you don't date anyone exclusively at first. Um, I think that in high school, you should be dating a bunch of people not to say that you couldn't date the same girl multiple times, but I just think exclusivity at that age is uh, more trouble than you need and not, it's kind of dramatic. Like I, I only speak from my own experience, but I know that like I had a girl that I very much was in love with and, you know, I had friends that had the same thing going on. And you, it just added such 
unneeded drama and stress in my life and the lives of my friends that I think if we all would have just been like, we're not going after one person or we're not with one person, but we're just dating around and getting to know each other. Plus also, especially within the Mormon community, I assume based on the fact that you're talking about 16, turning 16 and dating, that typically is a Mormon thing. So I'm just going to speak as if you're a member of the church, but you know, there is also a lot of boys, for whatever reason, they go on a mission, they come back, and then they get married very, very quickly. And, um, you know, when you're leaving at 18, 19 years old, and then you come back at 21, and then you get married within a year or two, that doesn't give you a lot of time to date around and kind of know what it is that you want, right? So, like, uh I think that there is some utility in just dating people and learning who they are and having fun and seeing what traits you do like and what traits you do not like um, so that you can be more informed when you are going to be exclusive on what you are wanting to do and what you're not. Because once you get exclusive, your, your, your objectivity fades very, very quickly. So when you see red flags, you tend to ignore them or try to work with them, uh, especially if you have some sort of attachment issue or abandonment issue, or all the therapeutic things that they talk about. So I think doing that would be really, really helpful. And uh, what I used to tell Austin was if you like a girl um, and you want to date her more and more, that's fine. I would say that you should at least place two dates in between each date that you go with the girl. So if you like a girl and you date her and you like her and you want to date her again, you go on two dates with other women and then go on another date with her. And if you do that rule, that's fine. And then over a course of time, after you've had a bunch of dates, if you want to be exclusive, that's fine. But I think it's even better if you could be uh, wait to be exclusive until you either graduate high school or you go on a mission, uh, if you're going to do that. Um, but, you know, Austin listened to me for about six months and now he's had a girlfriend uh, almost a year. So, so yeah, so he didn't listen to that one. Now, the other thing I would tell you is um, I see this a lot. I've seen this a lot with a lot of friends and I don't know if this has always been this way. I don't feel like my friends were particularly like this. Probably. Well, I think we probably were, but um, I think it might be accentuated now because with the age of social media and texting and stuff, there's not a lot of like, not a lot of personal interactions, but um, don't be afraid of rejection. And that's very easy to say, but like, let's dispel some of those. This is what, and I'm just telling you what I've told some of, you know, I remember, and I think I've shared about this before, uh, on another podcast, I remember, I think Austin was maybe 15. Um, and he had a bunch of his friends and we were all going, I was taking them all out somewhere and we were, uh, they started discussing during dinner or whatever, they started discussing girls and they were talking about a couple of the boys who really were just afraid to talk to girls. And, and so I asked them, I go, what is it that you're afraid of? And they're like, well, they may not like me. Uh, maybe I'm not good looking enough. And I think the first thing that boys should realize is that, see, boys, not all, not saying everybody, but most of the time, boys are visual. Men are visual. So for us, physical features and attraction the first thing we notice and it's the first thing that we you know we see and and it's the number one at least you know at, at the beginning it's the number one thing that's the most important for most not all but most like if you're cute they want to you want to talk to them right if the girl's cute girls are not like that for most girls it's like fourth on the list behind are you funny are you confident do you smell good you know, do you dress nice? It's like fourth or fifth on the list, right? So the physical attraction for women, it's more it, like 
and again, this is not all women. I'm not saying everybody. There's probably somebody out there be like, that's not true. What do you know, Josh? I'm not saying this is all. I'm just saying in my experience and a lot of experiences, there are a lot. I've, I've spoken to numbers of women who have been married uh, and have told me that they did, when they first met their husband, they weren't even physically attracted to them until they got to know them. And then they became physically attracted. And I got to tell you, I don't know. I don't know a lot of men who would say the same thing. So it's just different. So because I think men think that because they think a certain way, the women think the same way. And it's just not always accurate. So don't worry about being attractive enough. Women are attracted not to how you look, but how you carry yourself. Confidence, being funny. So what is confidence? I'll tell you a couple of things that I can just tell you right at the gate. And it, and I would appreciate it if somebody listens to this podcast, comment on it, a woman, tell me what you think, because, you know, obviously um, some of the boys don't get it, but like, I'll tell you some of the things that I know for sure don't work. And that is, and this goes to confidence. Um, just being one of those guys who like, listens to like who agrees with everything the woman says and what do i mean by that so uh for example my youngest son he's 10 years old he loves pokemon he loves the pokemon he loves pokemon cards he'll argue with you about pokemon i don't know anything about pokemon but he'll try to tell me everything about it he loves pokemon it's like a big thing he loves collecting the cards now he's only 10 but let's say he's 16 or whatever and he's going to go date and he still loves Pokemon. And he runs into a girl and he likes her and things are going well. And he says, hey, and she says, hey, what do you like to do? And he says, I like Pokemon. And then she's like, oh, Pokemon's stupid. And he goes, yeah, you know what? You're right. They are kind of stupid. That is the wrong thing to do, right? Or if, for example, she says, hey, I like this. Don't pretend like you like it too if you don't. Women pick up on that stuff. So I tell told them, I go, if you're into something, you say, hey, I like Pokemon. And she's like, Pokemon's dumb. You go, well, you know what? I don't think so. I think it's awesome. And here, I'm going to tell you all the reasons why Pokemon is amazing, right? Because they you don't have to like everything they like. And the other thing is, is if liking Pokemon is a deal breaker, do you really want to be with somebody who that's a deal breaker? You don't want to hold them under false pretenses. So you know, own it. And there's a few other things that you can do to exude confidence. And they're real simple. Stand up straight, dress nice, you know, iron your shirt, put on cologne, wear deodorant, brush your hair, like take a look at these things. And then look at people in the eye when you speak to them, smile, extend your hand and shake their hand. Okay. These types of things show confidence and women will pick up on that. Okay. Now here's another thing I, I, I've told them when, when I've heard someone say, well, you know, I don't know if they're going to like me or not or blah, 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 blah. And I, and I always tell them, I go, listen, here's the deal, right? There's 7 billion people in the world. Now I'm not a mathematician, but I think that if 1% of, you know, half of them are three are females, right? So three and a half billion females in the world. So, if I do my math right and 1% of the female population is attracted to you, that means there's 35 million women in the world who are attracted to you. There's bound to be a few of them in your area. So the chances are is there's going to be some people who find you attractive. And there's a few cues. Like if a girl looks at you, makes eye contact with you, and smiles at you, chances are they're attracted to you and want you to come talk to them. So here's my next rule. And I've and this is one I've told Austin, and I don't know if he's done it or not, but I hope he has. I say I could have a five-second rule. What's the five-second rule? If you look at a girl across the room and she smiles at you and you smile back, you have five seconds to get up and go talk to her. Why five seconds? Because anything after five seconds, you're going to talk yourself out of it. Because then your confidence starts to go away. You start talking about, oh, maybe I need to go here. Maybe I need to go there. And, uh, and then you talk yourself out of going and talking to the girl and you need to get used to doing that. You need to get used to going over and striking up conversations. And, and I shared this with, uh, with this one boy who was having, well, a couple of them that were having a struggle 
And the answer that, well, they asked, they said, well, what happens if they reject me? And I go, well, what's the worst that could happen? And they go, well, the worst that could happen is I get over there and I talk to them and they don't want to talk to me. I go, hey, I'm going to tell you, if you do this enough times and you've been around enough, that's, I'm not going to lie to you, that's going to happen. It's it's a certainty. You're not going to bat a thousand when it comes to women. Okay. But what's worse that you, that you get rejected or is it worse that that person is your soulmate and because of your own insecurities, you miss the opportunity to be with them? So give it a shot, right? Give it a shot and see what happens. So, um, and then a couple other things that I, I, this goes beyond just like dating advice per se, but I would say keep it, keep, um, Keep your romantic exploits to yourself. Don't kiss and tell. Uh, I'm going to share a story that has stuck with me since I was about 15 years old. And this is an, I would say that for the Mormon community, especially, this is an extreme case. Um, Well, that's not even really an extreme case. I think most guys who've been, who've played basketball, or who've you know been in sports, been athletic, um, they've heard locker room talk. And I remember hearing a few boys in a summer league who weren't necessarily on my team, but um, they were in the locker room and they were talking about a girl that this guy had, you know, I guess for lack of a better term, fooled around with. And I remember thinking to myself, when I heard the way that they were talking, I was like, man, if that girl heard the way that this boy was talking about her to his friends, she would not feel very good about herself. And I also have had an opportunity to hear a girl talk about a boy in the same way and feeling you know, talking about how it was a big mistake and all this stuff. So my advice is, is please be respectful. If, uh, if you do, are you are romantic with a girl? Uh, you know, I would say, try to be kind and respectful. I never, you know, I've never been one to kiss and tell. I've never been one to, share my romantic exploits necessarily. I have a couple of friends who are like very, very close friends who it's like, I know everything about them and they know everything about me and it's a mutually assured destruction. But as far as going around and bragging, uh, that's not good, especially because also think about it. If you're bragging and, and a girl hears that you're bragging about intimacy with another girl the chances of you getting any intimacy from another girl you know another kiss or anything is slim to none so um and the other thing i would also say is never put yourself in a position where you could be taking advantage of somebody uh if they're in a bad emotional place or if they're in a you know in an altered state Whatever you do, do not put yourself in a position to ever be somebody's regret. So those are my advice things. And have fun. You know, dating when you're in high school is fun. You just go to the movies, have fun. Go and, you know, be friends. Just just go out and have, you know, go out there with the intention of just having a good time. And everything will probably fall into place. So... There's your fatherly advice. I'm sure Austin is just really grateful to hear me talking about him like this. Okay. Uh, What did you think about the bishop who resigned from the pulpit? Hmm. Well, interesting. Um, So here's what I would say about that. Anytime there is a 
recording of something like that. And for those of you who don't know, I think I'll just share quickly. There was a uh, an LDS Mormon bishop in Mississippi who got up um, on the stand from the pulpit and resigned um, from being a bishop, which if you are not a member of the church, that is very, very rare. Typically, bishops are called volunteer, but they're called to... Um, uh, you know, you're called there for usually it's about five years, sometimes a little more, a little less, depending on the needs of the ward. And, uh, you know, it's very rare that somebody leaves early or specifically asks to be released from that. So it was a big deal. Um, and it was recorded, his resigning was recorded and then posted on the internet. So, uh, and I got to tell you, so um, I'm always a little suspect of the intentions when something like that is recorded and then posted online, like they wanted it to be public, which, you know, I, I would, I would tell you that I would take him at his word as to why, if he knew about it or if he didn't know about it, or if somebody randomly did it, I'd take him at his word on that if I were to hear it. But I would say regardless of what the intention was, I do believe that everything he said from the pulpit was authentic and real, and he was not making anything up as far as what his experience was. And um, so uh, I, I would I would definitely, if I ever had an opportunity to podcast with him, I would have a lot of questions. Um, but, you know, I think he's probably going to end up on a <laughs> on a Mormon specific, you know, an ex Mormon specific podcast, I'm sure. Um, and I and I and I listened to it. I'd, I'd be interested in hearing what his experience was and why he decided to resign, because it sounds like he had had to deal with some things that uh, were difficult for him. So I'd, I'd be interested in hearing it. Okay, let's see. Um, you seemed to have an issue with Faith Unraveled talking about what the bishop found morally wrong. Why? Ah, okay. Let me explain this because I'm sure that 99% of the people listening have no idea what I'm talking about. So Faith Unraveled is a TikToker. Um, I can't, I don't know her real name. Um, she said it a thousand times on her on her TikTok, but I just I don't know. I can't remember it right now. So she is a former member of the LDS church who now is no longer and is a TikToker um, who basically talks about, quote unquote, deconstructing her faith and has been for the last four years. And she's got a massive following. I mean, massive. I don't know what people consider massive. She's got like thousands and thousands of followers. So I consider that pretty massive. And she posted a thing online and she was like, a bishop said that he, you know, talking about the same bishop we were just talking about, a bishop has uh, resigned, citing that there were things that he was asked to do that he was morally opposed to. And everyone wants to know what he was morally opposed to. Here's a bunch of things it could be. And she started listing all these things. And all I did was comment and say, I don't think we should be speculating as to what it is. And you would have thought, at least in the ex-Mormon ex community, that I had said that uh, we should sacrifice a baby. And wow, well, well, this isn't speculation. And I said, I'm not saying that what she's saying isn't, isn't what, what bishops are asked to do. What I'm saying is, is I don't think we should be speculating as to what he found morally wrong, because it could be any of these things, or it could be none of these things. For all we know, he could be morally opposed to the fact that the church is no longer affiliated with the Boy Scouts or that um, that members of the church are expected to clean the church for free. I mean, it, it could be a number of things that he finds morally opposed to. So what she's really saying there, and the thing that I found to be a problem, was that she is now using the bishop who resigned and clearly had a very, it seemed, at least in the way he was talking, that this was not something he came to lightly and he purposely didn't disclose what those things he found morally wrong to be uh, 
I don't think it is okay for other people who are trying to promote content for their own TikToks to be posting this out here and saying, well, here is all this stuff that it could be. Because what you're really saying there is, oh, he found something morally wrong. Well, here's a bunch of things that I find morally wrong. So maybe it's one of these, right? You're just out there trying to promote your, use use this guy's very clearly uh, faith struggle to try to promote your own following. Uh, and I just have a problem with that, you know? Um, and I got to say, here's the thing that I've, I've kind of come to. This is something, this is kind of a rant here, but I want to talk about this a little bit. I, first of all, I want to make it very, very clear. I am not a fan of what I would call a Mormon Mormon apologists. Okay. And what I mean by that is, is the people who, I don't even know if that's the right word. Okay. That's probably not a good way to say it. I, I tend to struggle with people who will not acknowledge that there are some things in the, in church, whether it's history or culture or something that are like, not that are not helpful. And uh, I'll give you an example of what I'm talking about. I recently had a couple of conversations with a couple of friends of mine. And we, you know, one of them had suggested to me that they didn't like that here on my podcast, I sometimes have people on like Matthew Harris, who's a, who's a scholar who did research on, on, um, the history of African-Americans and the priesthood uh, and holding the priesthood and the change that occurred in 1978 when they could hold the priesthood and the, the history of that policy. Uh, and he suggested to me that uh, I shouldn't be doing that. And, uh, and also suggested to me that, well, it could have been this or it could have been that. And, and I go, listen, here's the thing, right? Like, I I am a faithful, card-carrying member of the church, okay? I, I believe it. I believe it. I go. I do all the things that I need to do. But I can also accept that there are things, like that these men, these prophets, these seers and revelators make mistakes, big ones, sometimes very big. Um, but, like, this idea that we are not, we should not, I reject the idea that we should not be critical of things that are clearly should be criticized. I just don't believe that. Okay. Uh, If there are things going on that should be criticized, we should be allowed to criticize. And, and I don't, and I, I, I think also that if you, let me, let me put it this way. So I think there are a number of people out there who are members of the church. By the way, if you're listening and you're getting annoyed with me and you're a member of the church, just know the ex-Mormons are coming up. So just stay stay with me, okay? So, like, there are a number of members of the church who I think they have kind of an in-the-box view, okay? I would now I would say, and you're not like this, a closed-minded view. What do I mean by closed-minded view? I mean... When I say a closed-minded view, I mean somebody looks at something and they have a, a way that they process that and they are not okay with the, with the idea that someone else could look at that same information and process it a different way. To me, that is closed-minded, meaning you are not open to the idea that something else, someone else could look at the same thing and come up with a different conclusion. That is closed-mindedness. So when you are a member of the church who says to me, I look at this, the church is true, and anybody who thinks differently must want to sin. The reason they're leaving the church is not because they can't, they, they, uh, it must, it's not, it couldn't possibly be that they have decided that the church is not true. It must be that they have some sort of sin or they've got some sort of thing. They just want to go party. They just want to join a swingers group. They just want to do with X, Y, and Z and all this stuff. And that is why they are now over here. That to me is a very 
in-the-box closed-minded view. You, you are in the box. So you have a set of, of beliefs, and anything that doesn't fit in that box gets cast out, right? Now, here's, here's the part about the ex-Mormons. My problem with a lot of the, and I want to make this very clear, by the way, this is not most people. This is not most people in the church or out of the church. These are the loudest people. And I think you could even extrapolate this to things other than the Mormon church, like even just like extreme right-wingers and extreme left-wingers, like the same way. But we're talking about the church. So the same way that a faithful, strong member of the church who's in the box thinks the loudest people in the ex-Mormon community are the same way. So it's like when you got the, 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 the staunchest, strongest members of the church who are just everything the church does is great, they're these in-the-box thinkers. The problem over here is that these the, the reason why I have a I think I have a bigger problem with the, the loudest voices of the ex-Mormon community is that most of them think that somehow by becoming an ex-Mormon or leaving the church, they have suddenly become open-minded and they've suddenly their eyes have been revealed and all of these things. But these people who, and I'm not saying this is everybody. I'm saying it's the loudest people. It's like they've just gotten out of this box and went into a different box. So now instead of being the person who everything has to fit in the box of the church is true, now everything has to fit in the box of the church isn't true, right? So nothing the church ever does is good. Nothing that the prophets say are helpful. Nothing that Joseph Smith or Brigham Young or any of these people did was it at all good. Everything bad. Mormon, bad, right? And I have a problem with that because I can look, like me personally, I can look at the church and I can look at the Book of Mormon. I can look at Joseph Smith and I can say to my, or in all the prophets of, from him on and, and everything that goes on, the culture and everything. And I can look at it and I can say, I believe that this is true. I have come to a realization personally that for me, based on my stuff, this is true. I can also accept that there are things that need that I believe are not good. And there are things that these people who I do believe are prophets are bad. They've done bad things. I can also hold it in my head that somebody else, based with their experience and their stuff, could look at the same materials and come to a different conclusion. To me, that is open-mindedness. So if you're in the box over here where you say things like, and I've heard a number of people who say this, well, those ex-Mormons who are leaving, they must be, they're, they, they couldn't, they, they just want to party. They just have some secret sin that they're not telling us. There's some ulterior motive here. They just want to go and do all this other stuff. I don't believe that. I'm not saying that doesn't happen all the time just, or, or, or some of the time. I'm saying that I've actually interviewed these people. I've actually talked to them. I've had long conversations with them. And that has not been the majority of their experiences. This has been like a very long, long process for them. But on the same token, ex-Mormons, not everything the church does is bad. And no, that person who has decided for themselves that they believe and they want to stay, they're not sheep. They're not dumb. They're not stupid. They're not being led like lambs of the slaughter. They're not... You know, you're not smarter than them by any means. You've just made a different choice. You can look at any of these things and you can say it could be true and it could be not, you know, and and it's okay. And, and by the way, I, I've been railing on this for like 10 minutes now, but I got to say a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of my friends I know who are in this, like, they're not like that. Like I have a lot of friends who've left the church or who no longer believe in the church, who have no ill will towards the church, have understand that there are good tenants there, understand that there are good people there. And like, and they're great. And there are also members I know who are very much like 
They're active. They love the church and they do all these things, but they get it. They understand. They understand that their friend has some issues with whatever it may be, and they still love them and care about them and want to hang out with them anyway, right? That's most people. So I want to say that I, when I say this, I'm not talking about like, I'm not talking about most people. I'm just talking about the people who are loudest. And hopefully that's helpful. So anyway, that's a long way of saying the issue I had, particularly with the person who does Faith Unraveled, and I've actually invited her to come on the podcast. I'd like to actually have a conversation with her because it's it's almost like, a, here's a, here's another thing I would say. And this might be a little controversial and members might not like what I'm about to say. But I think when people say something like, when they say something like, uh, it must be that the reason why they leave is because of some sin, which I've heard numerous times. To me, that suggests a level of insecurity in that person's testimony. Because if they can't, it almost seems like, well, they couldn't, if they can come to a different conclusion, then maybe I'm wrong. And listen, maybe you are. You don't think you are. And, and the church has made you a better person and you, and you, it's helpful for you. Like, why does it matter if somebody else comes to the different conclusion? Right. It doesn't matter. But the same thing on the ex-Mormon side. So when you have these people on the, everything is bad. Oh, you must be a sheep. You must be dumb. You must be, you, you just aren't paying attention. You just don't know. You've been brainwashed. That's the same insecurity. It's almost as if you're trying to convince yourself that you didn't do something wrong. Like when I hear something like I'm deconstructing my faith for four years or five years, explain that to me. Like, because that sounds to me like deconstructing my faith means that you still kind of feel guilty for some of the things that you're doing. Well, if you don't believe in it, why do you feel guilty? Like I have friends who who very much don't believe in the church anymore. They don't feel guilty if they go out and go to a bar and drink. You know, they don't feel bad at all because they don't believe it, right? So I just, again, I, there needs to be some sort in my mind of some sort of um, give and take here for us to have like real conversations, which I think need to be had. So there's that. All right. We got a lot of these Mormon questions, so hang on here. Uh, here's another one. How can you be Mormon? There's no evidence the Book of Mormon is true or that Joseph Smith was a prophet. In fact, quite the contrary. You seem like a smart, logical guy. What's the deal? Okay. First of all, number one, this is the attorney in me. So, I have a problem with the idea that you suggest that there's no evidence the Book of Mormon is true or that Joseph Smith was a prophet. Okay? Hear me out. In the law, there are different types of evidence. There's direct evidence. There's circumstantial evidence. There's also different varying pieces of evidence, like documents. Those are evidence. Testimony is also evidence. Now, you may think that some evidence is stronger than others. But, and I'm not saying that the evidence is necessarily convincing to everybody, okay? But to suggest that there's no evidence that the Book of Mormon is true or that Joseph Smith is a prophet is a complete and utter fallacy. There's, right in the very front of the Book of Mormon is the witness of, th there's three witnesses and eight witnesses. Now, you may not believe the three witnesses or the eight witnesses. You may not think that those are valid. You may have something about, oh, well, those actually all look signed by the same person, or they also lent their testimony to other things. I'm not saying that you are that you believe the evidence to be credible. That's not what I'm saying. But that is evidence. Testimony is evidence. Joseph Smith's testimony of the first vision is evidence. You, and again, I want to emphasize again, that does not mean that you would believe the evidence. That doesn't mean that if you were on a jury and this was on trial, that you would say that is beyond a reasonable doubt that he was a prophet. Okay, that's not what I'm saying. 
But this idea that there's no evidence is just not true. There are evidence. There's also evidence out there that points to the idea that maybe it's not true. Okay. That is true. And so, so my point is, is that believing whether the Book of Mormon is true, Joseph Smith is a prophet, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is God's church on the earth, it really all comes down to a choice. Are you going to choose to believe it, or are you going to choose to not believe it? Are you going to choose to have faith, or are you going to, have, are you going to choose to doubt? And you can do one or the other. I personally have decided based on my own personal experience that is not always logical, but is also logical at times that this church is true and I am going to follow it because it has given me, uh, one, it has blessed me greatly. It's a great code of conduct to live by. And I believe it's true. And I've had spiritual experiences to point that to. And to me, that all is evidence. Okay. I can totally understand if you don't buy it, you don't believe it. And I wouldn't, I would not um, judge you for that. But that's how I can be Mormon is that I've come to the conclusion. I've seen in my own life, the blessings from being a member of the church. So there's your answer. Okay, here's another one. When will you be teaching gospel doctrine again? So this must be coming from someone who's in my ward. And I am always happy to sub in as a gospel doctrine teacher. But currently, um, that is not what I've been asked to do. And uh, not, but I would love to do it again. I do really enjoy teaching. For a couple of reasons. Uh, one, I feel like I get way more out of the out of reading when I am teaching. Um, when I got to think about questions and that need to be answered, when I've got to um, present the evidence and lead the discussion, it it, it helps my reading quite a bit. Um, so. Uh, and I actually, if I were to choose my favorite calling in the church, I think my favorite calling I've ever had was I spent about two years, I think, teaching uh, Sunday school for uh, the 16 to 18 year olds. And uh, I was very lucky because I had like the, the best group in the world. Like all of the kids in my class were all just A plus kids. They were just seriously, the lessons couldn't have been better and i had a great team teacher in uh, ryan thompson as well and we just we had a great time in there and i think like i don't even know how many missionaries came out of there like a lot you know and it didn't have anything to do with us i mean they just their parents did a great job raising them they really did um clearly just great kids so yeah but i love i love the teaching and, and it's interesting here's something i, I thought i actually wanted to I, i'm glad that this came up because i wanted to talk about this i have made a concerted effort starting um, the turn of the year. I got to admit, last year, I just did not do a very good job of keeping up on the come, come follow me stuff. Uh, just is busy. I was busy all the time. And that's not an excuse. I should have been reading, but I didn't. So, um, so yeah, that was, that was, you know, I didn't do it very well. So this year, I we were, we're in the Book of Mormon this year. And uh, I thought to myself, I was like, what this year could I do to really up my spirituality or my spiritual game? And uh, what I uh, came up with was uh, I could be better at Come Follow Me. And so this, uh, this month so far, I've done pretty good. Um, we've only gotten through 10 chapters of First Nephi. But here's something that I came up with that I found really interesting, and I wanted to share it here. Um, I must, I, I've read the Book of Mormon cover to cover multiple times, lots of times. I don't know why I ever didn't, maybe it's just the, the place in life I am. It's funny when you can read the scriptures and new things happen, all like you get new insights all the time. 
But if you read the first couple of chapters of the Book of Mormon, you understand the, the you know, Lehi and, and his, what he was asked to do. Um, it definitely gave, developed, helped me develop a different outlook on faithfulness. What do I mean by that? So I think I've always had this view. And I think a lot of members hold this view that if you're obedient and you follow the church, and you follow the gospel, and you follow God's commandments, and you know, did all do all the right things, you're going to be blessed. And that blessings mean that bad things aren't going to happen to you. Not only are bad things not going to happen to you, but you're going to just, God's going to open up the windows of heaven and nothing but ease. And sure, you're going to have little things here and there. They're going to come up. Maybe you're going to have a hard kid or someone with special needs, or you're going to have, you know, a certain difficulty in life. But generally, things are going to be okay. But if you look at Lehi's story, and you look at the whole Book of Mormon, that is not what happened. In the first couple of chapters, what do we hear from Nephi? I've seen a ton of tribulations, but I've been blessed at the same time. What is the first thing you hear about Lehi? God comes to him in a dream and says, Lehi, you have been super faithful. And because of your faithfulness, I want you to leave all of your worldly possessions behind, all of your comforts, all of your stuff. I want you to leave everything you've ever known and go into the wilderness with your family and eat raw meat for a while and figure out how to build a ship and go to this strange land you've never been to before. And when you go there, by the way, two of your, two of your four sons are going to fall away. And not just like kind of fall away, like fall away so bad that they try to kill your other two sons and their posterity makes war with the other two sons' posterity and eventually succeeds at destroying them. I mean, like, so that's what, think about that. That is what Lehi was asked to do. Leave all the comfort behind and go and have the adventure of your life. So he in the midst of all of that suffering and difficulty and times when nobody believed him and called him a visionary man and did all these things. And he, you know, left everything behind and slept in tents and all of those things. He also saw his posterity, all of them see the resurrected savior come to them specifically. His posterity wrote the book of Mormon that we all read, all Mormons read today. I mean, so what does that mean? For me, that means that faithfulness does not mean that everything is going to be great. In fact, not only are things, it's not just that things are going to be, you know, things that are out of your control are going to hurt you, but sometimes God is going to ask you to do really hard hard things that don't make any sense at all. And true faithfulness is looking at those things that are really, really hard, that don't make a lot of sense, that that go against your logic and doing it. And just trusting in the Lord that it's going to be okay. I think that's an important lesson to learn, and it's one that I want my kids to learn, definitely. All right. Um, what's your sign? I'm an Aries. I don't know what that means, though. So if you want to tell me what that means uh, or why you're asking, feel free to drop me a line. Um, whose location do you have? No one's. I don't have anyone's location. I don't know where anybody is. Um, let's see. Um, free Palestine. All right. I don't know 
what you want me to say. Uh, I'll, I'll just say this. I find it interesting how um, all the memes shared are always on one side or the other, like one side is all right and one side is all wrong. And I find that really interesting. I don't think that most people who are sharing these memes and doing these things really understand the gravity of this thousands of years conflict between the Palestinians and the Jews. Um, so I don't know. I don't know what to do. And, and the other thing I would say is, is that I think that uh, one thing I don't like, and I hear both sides doing this, right, is like, hey, you're doing really bad things. Well, yeah, but they did bad things first. It's like, okay, well, at some point, somebody somewhere has to be the one to say, okay, like, let's drop down the guns and talk. And I'm not saying it should be the Palestinians or it should be the Jews. I'm not saying that the Israelis shouldn't you know, weren't, shouldn't defend themselves. And I, and I got to say, like, I'm not even necessarily saying that their response had to be, you know, whatever you call it, uh, you know, had to be an apportioned response or anything. I mean, you don't get to choose the consequences of actions when you do some horrific things like that. And, and I got to say, anybody who's sitting there and when they go, well, are you okay with the actions of the what do you call them the um the uh hamas they go well you know you have to understand what the israelis have been doing no no i really don't like i don't know what the israelis do and if they did something like that i would condemn that too but the, at least the videos that i've seen and the things that they're reportedly had done if those are true that's horrific and there's no justification for it at all period now, that being said, that doesn't mean that the Palestinians don't have an actual, you know, legitimate gripe, and we should hear that, you know? I, I don't know. So I, I don't know what the answer is. I'm just a podcaster lawyer trying to make sure his kids don't fall into the ocean. Um, let's see. All right. Do you have trust issues? Um, yeah, probably. Yeah. Um, I once heard a, uh, I once heard a quote that I really liked and it said something along the lines of trust is earned in drops, but lost in buckets. So, um, I tend to give everybody, you know, the benefit of the doubt until they show me that they can't. and then once I don't, um, you know, and then once they've shown me that I can't trust them, I don't. And it's really hard to get that back. So, and it, uh, yeah. And some might think that that's uh, not forgiving. I don't agree with that. I think that uh, I can forgive somebody but not trust them. So there we are. Okay, we are almost wrapped up here. Um, Biden or Trump? Neither. <laughs> like, is this really what we... Uh, neither. I wouldn't vote for either of them. I'm not going to vote for either of them. Um, and if you're one of these people who are going to send me a message and say, oh, well, if you don't vote for this guy, then you're going to get this guy. Yeah, I don't vote against people. I vote people and I can't bring myself to uh, vote for Joe Biden or Donald Trump and I didn't vote for either of them in the last election so um yeah I don't I'm I don't like either of them and I'm pretty clear on that so and if you want to have a conversation why I'm happy to tell you I'm happy to discuss it with you okay are you judgmental I try not to be. Um, I don't know. I think there is a level of judgment that we all have to 
have at first when you don't know somebody or you're in certain circumstances. Um, but I try to give everybody the benefit of the doubt and at least understand where they're coming from um, until they show me, again, that I shouldn't or can't. So, all righty, let's see. Um, you should get a tattoo. No, no, I'm not getting a tattoo. Um, I just, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I don't think I've liked anything long enough to want it permanently on my body. And then also I just, I don't know, tattoos just aren't my thing. They're just not my thing. And that's to say, I'm not saying that I wouldn't, you know, that I think other people get them are bad. That's not at all. Um, I just, it's just not my thing. So, yeah. And I mean, no, my luck, I would like, I don't know, I'd put like a Metallica tattoo on me or like a, you know, something like that. And then I'd find out something terrible about some of the band members or whatever, and they'll all get canceled. And then I got to figure out a way to go get that removed or something. So, nah, not going to do it. Um, okay. Uh, um, that is pretty much it. Um, um, I'm really grateful. I got to say for everybody who has, um, been following me for this long now, we still have a lot more fun stuff coming up. Uh, I, we're on track to have the best, again, another one of the best months I've ever had, which I'm really grateful for. I've had some really cool podcasts this month that I'm really happy about. And I got a few more that are coming up this next month that are also going to be really fun as well. Um, if you've made it this far and you haven't subscribed, please do. Um, also, if you um, want to help me out, um, share, share your favorite podcast with your friends. And, uh, and also leave reviews, you know, five-star reviews really help, uh, get my podcast in front of other people. So I really appreciate it. Um, you know, you can always send me messages. If there's anything in here you disagree with, I'm, I'm always willing to talk to anybody about this stuff. Cause I do find it interesting. And also if you know of anybody, you know, I've had a lot of people who've actually sent me like, um, articles that they found or people that they found or they have a friend who they're like they have a really cool story it's inspirational blah blah blah, blah. um and i really uh i really appreciate that and i do follow up on those things so um if you've got somebody that you think would be good for the podcast hit me up and let me know and, and make the introduction i'd love to i'd love to get to know people so i'm always open to that and um that's, that's pretty much it for this month. So thanks for listening. Appreciate it. And we'll get you next time.